are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, she's building GitStreamline.com, which is selling software to something called Special Districts. There's 55,000 of them in the United States today. They already have 1,450 using their platform, paying on average $275 per month for about 400,000 bucks a month in revenue, up from 140,000 ish a year ago. She joined as Chief Strategy Officer just a couple months ago and is saying, hmm, how can we get our hands on additional revenue lines here? If I can increase ARPU across a base of 1,450, we can double, triple revenue quickly without even adding any new logos. We'll see what happens. They've got 37 folks on the team, sold about, call it, uh, uh, 10, 20, 14% of the company in their pre-seed round last year, targeting selling something like around 20% in a seven, six to $8 million Series A round that they're out there looking at right now. We will see what happens. Hey folks, my guest today is Rachel Stern. She's an investor, operator, and political strategist, currently the chief strategy officer at Streamline, which provides digital services to special district governments. Before Streamline, she served or founded, sorry, in-state partners, a venture capital and lobbying firm investing in GovTech. She's an active investor and advisor for early stage GovTech companies. Rachel, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, I'd love it. Thanks all for right. having me. So it sounds like you have an exposure to a lot of cool companies via your investing. You decided to jump all in two feet first to Streamline. Why? Well, it felt like I had the experience of being on the investing side of the table, less on the operating side. I'd sat on a number of boards. I you know, advised a lot of CEOs and C-suite people. And the reality is, is that it's much harder to execute than it is to advise and, and be an investor. And so to be sort of the best leader I could be in this space, both as a thought leader perspective or building companies or investing in companies, I figured I needed the experience of actually being in the trenches building these things, fundraising, um, coaching teams, helping us figure out product market fit and pricing. And um, boy, I have learned so much in the last five months. Well, I want to get into Streamline here in a second. But first, fill out your backstory just a little bit. Uh, When did you close the first fund for in-state partners and about how many investments did you make? Yeah, so Instate was actually an evergreen fund as part of a private equity firm called Advantage Capital. And Advantage was a very unique type of private equity investor in that it used a network of state and local lobbyists across the country to create programs where government incentivized capital and to come to come into very vulnerable areas. And that's yeah, that's a tale as old as time. Tax like like what might be in a vulnerable area? Yeah. So um, they were called new market tax credit areas, and they tended to be lower median incomes than their surrounding areas on average. Um, but you're thinking urban areas, you're thinking rural areas, you're thinking entrepreneurs of color and women and minorities. And it's just really trying to encourage the private markets to bring capital into areas that typically are overlooked um, because they're seen as too risky. Mm-hmm. And so government often steps in in these ways, usually the federal government, but more and more on the state level to say, OK, guys, you know, we are willing to put our money where our mouth is and say we want to invest in small businesses in our communities, particularly our vulnerable ones. We're going to help create these programs whereby we're creating pools of money to invest in those areas. Yeah. And private ca- private capital comes in and matches that money and then invests it and then pays back the state. So fast so, forward to streamline, right? You said this yeah. is uh, my audience might not know what special districts means, but you cater to them. What is a special district example? 
I had never heard of them before uh, approaching Streamline actually as a as an investor and partner before just, you know, as you said, jumping in two feet first. So special districts are everywhere. And if you own your house, I'm confident you're paying into some. You'll see it on your property tax bill. It's water districts. It's utility districts. It's libraries. It's cemeteries. It's sanitation districts. It's this really funny sort of corner of the government market uh, that is wildly underserved, partially because it's so disparate. No one really knows how many there are. Um, They supersede city and county boundaries. They're managing their own budgets. They're providing a singular service to a specific geographic area. Um, And so they're very hard. Most states don't even know how many districts there are. Interesting. Within their borders. And so part of our work is sort of creating that unity of market and understanding the TAM um, and really serving them in a way, you know, we provide, we provide digital services. It's a website, it's social media presence. It's, um, an ability to post agendas and meetings. They are being regulated on a state level, basically being told what they have to do. And very few of them have the tools or the technological background to build it themselves. So mm-hmm. we're coming in providing that sort of gap in the market, which is getting them online, getting them digital tools, having them better serve constituents. And Rachel, when you bucket all that up, what's the average special district paying you per month or per year to use your technology? Yeah, so our average, it's actually very, very small. Um, our average monthly uh, customer is paying us about $275 a month. Okay, interesting. Um, and on the website at the bottom, I see it's $60. Is that per seat or per district? Or what's the $60 I see on your website? So there's three tiers, and it's based on their budgets. It's based on their operating budgets, which is how much money is coming in, how much money is going out. What are their revenues? What are their profits? What are their losses? And mm-hmm. different kinds of districts operate different ways. So we've tiered it in such a way to be to accommodate each district's needs, whether it's size, whether it's, um, for example, water and utility districts are collecting money. They've got large operating bed budgets because you're paying your fees every month versus a fire district or a parks and rec district. Maybe they're collecting little bits of money over time for charity or for bake sales, but it's not part of their intrinsic value. And so the pricing tiers and also the packaging of services is to accommodate each of those customers' needs. So there are three tiers based on budgets. I also see, though, you, you powered by Stripe, offer payments. Folks can make payments through your sites. Obviously, one of the big, big spaces we're seeing is this idea of SaaS Plus, a core SaaS model, and then you add Plus on top. You've got payments. Some big companies take 1%, 2 3 4% of payments, and they're processing billions, and that's a huge revenue stream for them. How does Streamline think about revenue generated from payments going through your platform? Yeah, it's a great question and one that we're talking a lot about right now, which is Stripe is a wonderful partner because they are easy to integrate, right? That's why everyone's doing just API to API. We are in, we're processing payments tomorrow. Um, and we're keeping about 1% of that. Um, net, and on a net basis. On a net basis. But the reality mm. is, is that, as I was saying, very few of our districts need sort of constant collection of payments. And mm-hmm. those do don't really trust Stripe. Yeah, uh, it's not Stripe's fault. It's just not a sophisticated enough tool for reoccurring payments or someone to mm. pause their payments or someone to process, you know, ongoing water or utility bills. And so as we think about our payments, we're starting to think about partners in our market and expanding that offering um, that's mutually beneficial, because, again, we have a huge corner of the market. We just passed our 1450th customer. 1450 and, special districts using yeah. you and, grow, in- and growing every day. Um, which is what allows us to keep our ACV so low. No, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, what if we take fourteen fifty times the two seventy five? That two seventy five that was ARPU monthly ARPU, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, we could multiply that, and what does that come like three hundred ninety eight thousand, four hundred thousand bucks a month, something like that? Yeah. That's great. So- 
I mean, so but is, really, is it fair yeah. to say though that it's not, I mean, your chief strategy officer, would you say that it's not a high priority for you to think about capturing 1.5 or 2% of GMV because you don't, you're not sitting on billions of GMV yet? Well, I think that having a more sophisticated payments partner would actually open up those more sophisticated districts to us. Ah, okay. So as I think about it, Stripe is a great stopgap for what our districts need right now, but we are losing out on deals like water and utility districts, which are much bigger fish. Um, because we can't process sophisticated. Yeah, those have consistent GMV, right? Those are, you know, you get the billions very quickly. Yeah. Um, so we are uh, exploring the market, the partner market now. And, and this who do they where, use today? Who do water markets use today? You know, it totally depends. It is often a third party vendor or there are specific companies like Streamline, but not as sophisticated that just do water or just do utility payments. Like they are specialized. Okay. And, and you know, this is where my background as an investor in the GovTech world comes into play because I've met a lot of the players here. It's not a huge market. Um, so it's- How I'm, many special districts are there in the US total? Well, thank you for the big reveal. Um, we think there are about 55,000. But okay, you think, is this, you can't, there's no database where you can actually get a hard number here. Does it change there daily? Sure isn't. The census did a exploration in 2017 and they came up with the number 40,000. Now we have hmm. a cold calling apparatus. It's, we have a big sales team, BDRs and AEs cold calling these districts. And what we found was that number was absolutely not correct. About 20 or 30% of the census list <clears throat> unreachable, whether they'd been dissolved or didn't have a real phone number or weren't a real district. And so what um, my team has been doing over the last four or five months is calling each getting that data that they're collecting because there's a requirement in most states that districts file annual budgets with the state. Okay. Collecting that data, calling all of the counties, collecting the data that they have about each each district in their jurisdiction. Um, overlaying that with the census, overlaying that with the thousands of districts our sales team has already called to really try to come up with the first comprehensive list. So we are very much in the mix on that. Um, we've got about 37 states worth of data. And those remaining 13 states are really tough because the state isn't tracking them. Counties aren't tracking them. So we have to go either hand-to-hand combat or sort of trust the census list and, and trust but verify. Yep. Uh, but it's but figuring out that TAM is really the biggest barrier to entry in this market. So what, what is your team size today to be able to collect all this data, do all this work? Yeah, so we've got uh, 37 people in the company right now, 12 of which are sales. And then- Did the they all carry a quota? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Can I ask just out of curiosity? I mean, this is this is a low ARPU, high volume kind of business model. It's very rare you see quota carrying reps at this very low price point. How do you make that math work? Well, we um, often team them up. So it's you're spreading the wealth a little bit. We've got BDRs fitting into uh, associate AEs, which is sort of the middle tier, which are graduate BDRs. Um, and those AAEs are partnered with one of three AEs. And so everyone is getting credit for each deal that is going through the pipeline. We're tracking what each deal is in stages. The BDRs are being, um, judged and also rewarded for what we call S3s, which are sort of demos that they're able to get with the cold calls. And then that translates into it. So it's really just, it's, it's a fully flushed out, uh, sales system where they're all fitting together and all rowing the same direction. Break that down for me a little bit. There's 12, there, there's 12 folks on the sales team. How many are BDRs? There's six BDRs. There's okay. three AEs and three AEs. Sorry, what was the middle one? Associate 
account executives. So they're sort of in this middle ground between cold calling and doing demos. They're training on how to do demos. They're tending to deal with like sort of slightly smaller deals. Um, they're working with the AEs on the bigger deals, on the bigger fish. So everyone's getting credit. And the BDRs are being um, judged on on how many demos they're able to pass on to the AAEs and AEs. I see. Okay. So just again, at this price point, how many demos do you want a BDR setting up per month? I mean, it's got to be double digits, right? 10, 20, 30? Oh, yeah, more than that. I mean, we we have them making between 50 and 65 calls a week. Okay. Um, and I would say of that, we have about a 37% translation rate into S3s. Okay. Which is a, which is a demo call? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we have about a 60% close rate on demos. Interesting. I love this. It's very rarely I hear a sales motion work with touch at this price point, which is why I'm going to drill there for a second. (laughs) No, you're, and and you're, it's so interesting you say that because we're out raising our series A now and some of the feedback we've been getting from investors is like, wow, you guys are touching these customers a lot. Yeah. $100 ACV. Yeah. Um, I think that that was a necessary motion before we had really good data and before we had a real sense of the market, right? You almost just needed a certain volume of calls out to verify the data set because you know, of those 50 or 65 calls, maybe 20 of them weren't real numbers. Yep. Yep. No, that all makes sense. Let me get, I, I want to ask, yeah. yeah, I want to ask more questions about where you're taking the company strategy wise, but I also want to get a sense of historical growth rate. So if you're at about 400 grand a month right now in revenue, where were you exactly one year ago, you know, range? Um, we incorporated 18 months ago and okay. we grew 122% this year. Okay. Got it. So, so 122%. So you guys were doing something like, you know, call it like 140,000 exactly a year ago. Yeah. Between, between 120, 140. Okay, that's that's great growth. Um, yeah. And just to be clear, you joined. When did you join? Twelve months I ago. I joined last July. Nope. I'm, okay. um, you're you're, you're basically founding team and first five, right? Well, we are we are in. I, I mean, a certain leadership team, yes. Yeah. Um, but I was employee number thirty five. Um, ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you were okay. So the t- okay, got it. So you were employee number thirty five, and you but you joined about uh, sixteen months ago. The team you said is thirty seven today. So. Three hires the past eighteen months. Sorry, no, I should have said that. It's July of this year. I'm oh I'm this like, year. Ah, got it, got it. Okay, that makes I'm, sense. I'm brand spanking now. Got it, uh, got bringing, it. Bringing a lot of energy and effort to a team that has been doing this so consistently and so well for the last eighteen months. And mm-hmm. what they needed was someone with legislative experience, someone with partnerships experience, someone with fundraising experience, someone with you know, strategy and data experience. And so yep. I came in and sort of took over those functions. And is the company bootstrapped today or did you guys do a seed or pre-seed? We did a, we did a seed where we only offered common stock, but did about $2 million in what we're calling a party round. So that was uh, last year. That was last year. And okay. right now we're raising an A. Okay. Um, interesting. And we have a couple of term sheets in play right now. I'm sure some of your listeners have, have had to make these choices between sort of venture and growth equity and those things that the different things that they offer and the different things that they look for. Growth equity was saying to us, like, you're burning too much. You have too many touches. We like love this potential, but we would expect you to grow 40 to 50% next year and really get efficient. And ventures like, don't change a thing. Go out there, grow 150% next year. You know, think bigger, think bigger marketplaces, think bigger partnerships. Like, efficiency, who needs it? Like, we just want to see the thing grow, go capture as much of the market as possible. 
Um, and so we as a leadership team have had to really weigh those options of like, what kind of company do we want this to be? And what kind of partners do we want to help grow it? No, that's very insightful. When the growth equity folks are saying too much burn, I mean, what do you guys at say negative 10, negative 20% EBITDA margins per month? Or where are you guys comfortable operating? Higher? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we are. We, I would say we are on the cusp of inefficiency. And it's of, of inefficiency. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that to, to your point about the touches, um, I think we have a really big sales team. I think that probably oh, yes, yeah, 30% of your term, team. That's, that's big for your I stage. think in the long term, that model will shift. I think we will move away or at least maintain some semblance core of the cold calling mechanism BDRs, AEs. But I think the key to our growth now, we've proven we can bring logos on. That's yeah. not the hard part. Um, the key now is to increase that ACV, increase the value yeah. of each of those customers, increase the offerings that we have, even by a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a month. Oh, it's huge. That recurring revenue is huge. Yeah. Um, so that's our, that's really my next frontier. Um, and, and the team's next frontier of just like, how do you increase the value of each customer? Yeah. A couple of rapid fire things as we are out of time, but this is very yeah. interesting to me. Most folks are selling about 10 to 20% of the company in a pre-seed round. Is that about what you guys did? Uh, 14%. Okay, fourteen percent. So that would have been like something like a uh, like a five million pre seven post, something like that. It was a twelve pre fourteen post. Okay, but common. Okay, okay. Well, you sold less then, right? If uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's great. That's not a lot of dilution at all. What are you guys targeting in your A in terms of how much you want to raise? Yeah, I think we're looking to raise between six and eight. Okay. Um, I think that will allow us to get to profitability in the next eighteen months. Um, and, and what are you targeting? You sell temper. I mean, what are you hearing in the market today? Selling 10%, 20%? Yeah, it's probably between 20 and 30. Oh, wow. Honestly. Interesting. Just compressed equity market. Huh? You're seeing very few offering 10x. It's not 2020, 2021. I think it's usually seven to eight. Yeah. Um, and I'm hearing that from my other founder friends as well. It's yep. just like, it's not that the market's cool. There's a lot of money out there, but valuations are cool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so if you guys can get something done, we're raising seven, I mean, you're at 5 million revenue ARR right now. If you can get a 7 million done on a, on a 40 million post, right? Something like that. It's like eight X multiple. I mean, that you'd consider that a win. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and then you go and try to build this thing another, you know, you double it and then you have some choices. Yeah. A couple other questions quick here for you in terms of expansion as strategy, when you, when your folks are calling into these 36 States, building a master database, what's the total GMV, all the 55,000 special districts do per year, right? Total revenue collected. Yeah. Uh, the average is 5 million, but there's a real spectrum, right? I would say the that- average is 5 million per district. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well then that, I mean, that, that tells me that, I mean, that's 275 billion of GMV annually. If you can get your hands on 1% of that, obviously you got to go get all that scale. That's a massive revenue stream for you. Why not build your own payment rails and start selling it to take more of that, that net margin? I think that we could. Um, I have a partner in the market who I've worked with for a long time. Actually, they were my first investment and I just think they're great. Okay. Um, (laughs) Their model is that they're free to the government and they charge the user a fee. And so it's really easy to plug and play a pretty sophisticated model into our yeah. interesting program without having to build it, we could, we could build our own. Um, but it's this constant weight of how much tech debt do we want to take on versus sort of acquiring or partnering for it so that we can continue to build our roadmap of just existing tools within the site that our, that our customers are asking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. No, that all makes sense. Okay. Uh, it's, it's still a huge price, right? 275 billion of GMV. If you can keep 2% net of that, what is that? Five point, that's 5.5 billion of revenue. If you can make it work. I'm hoping to have a private jet. <laughs> All right, Rachel, let's wrap up with the famous five rapid fire. Number one, favorite book. 
Favorite book is uh, East of Eden. Number, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I have my current one. I'm loving learning his moves. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Streamline? Um, ChatGPT right now. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Nine. Okay. And Rachel, can I ask situation, married, single kiddos? Uh, en fianced. Ah, very cool. When's the wedding? You have a wedding date for uh, Next April. Yeah. Ooh, very, ex- very, very exciting. Okay. So no kids? No kids. Two All dogs. Right. Two Love dogs. dogs. That's awesome. And can I ask how old you are? I am 33. 33. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh my God. Um, buy property. <laughs> Guys, she's building GetStreamline.com, which is selling software to something called special districts. There's 55,000 of them in the United States today. They already have 1,450 using their platform, paying on average $275 per month for about 400,000 bucks a month in revenue, up from 140,000 ish a year ago. She joined as chief strategy officer just a couple months ago and is saying, hmm, how can we get our hands on additional revenue lines here? If I can increase ARPU across a base of 1,450, we can double, triple revenue quickly without even adding any new logos. We'll see what happens. They've got 37 folks on the team, sold about, call it uh, uh, 10, 20, 14% of the company in their pre-seed round last year, targeting selling something like around 20% in a seven, six to $8 million series A round that they're out there looking at right now. We will see what happens. Rachel, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Have a great day.